My friends, if you have your Bible, which I'm assuming you do, and if you don't, I'm assuming that you have one on your handy-dandy contraption, which is only going to be used for Bible purposes this morning. No texting, no Facebook messaging. Facebook? You Facebook? Spacebook? I'm getting old. I'm getting old. Yeah, slowly. Would you turn to Luke chapter 19? Luke chapter 19. So I have a habit, and this is going to be a confession. I have a habit of sorting biblical redemption stories into two categories. The first kind of story is, is about someone who is down and out, someone who needs to be rescued because life has really dealt them a really lousy hand. Those are the kind of, these kind of stories are like the story of the Good Samaritan. You know, man, that guy got, he got the tar beat out of him. He didn't even know it was coming, and he got robbed, beaten to a pulp, he didn't deserve it. He, he had a lousy hand. Or, or what about blind Bartimaeus? He is in chapter 18, Luke chapter 18. He's the story of this man who has been blind since birth. It is just a lousy hand. Or the demoniac who has just been wandering around in, in the tombs because he was possessed by demons. And I, I love it that God reaches across those barriers to rescue the poor, the powerless, the sick, the fatherless. I love those kind of stories. These are the stories of just basic human dignity. And most people that I do know, whether they be Christians or not, can get behind those kind of stories where God is reaching across a barrier and evening the playing field. But there's other kind of stories. And these kind of stories are about people who need to be rescued because of their own bad choices. It's the kind of Homer Simpson kind of moment. Like, really? You're doing that? Ah, there, there are people like Zacchaeus, the woman who was caught in adultery, the, 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 the thief on the cross. These are stories, aren't stories about dignity. These are stories about people who have gotten away with something. They've been caught red-handed. They're about people who got something for nothing. They, there are people who have actually gamed the system. There, there are politicians here in Illinois. Does that preach at all? These stories are not popular. It's troubling to think that the adulteress probably returned back to her bed without any kind of accountability. About Barabbas, the murderer who was going free without any kind of accountability. But Jesus was led to the cross in that terrible exchange. It's about the thief entering paradise after a life of crime and disgrace. It's easy to get a crowd 
following mercy. But it's hard to get people to get behind grace. The thing is, I need the latter. I'm the one who needs grace. My circumstances are pretty comfortable. I've never been oppressed. I've never felt compelled to hide my identity, my sexuality. I've never felt compelled to hide my race. I live in a pretty comfortable American suburbia kind of life. So while I really approve of the ministry to the marginalized, I don't see myself in those stories. All of my life's greatest regrets came because of my own stupidity, my sinfulness, my selfishness. I identify more with the prodigal son than the leper. G.K. Chesterton, an English writer, once said that every man who visits a prostitute is looking for God. How's that feel? Every man who visits a prostitute is looking for God. I think he's right. In fact, I'd suggest that every person who buys hundreds of dollars worth of lottery tickets in hopes of striking it big is looking for God. Every person who is getting high is in some way looking for God. I realize that these people may not know at that time that they are looking for God. They probably don't think, man, hey, I want to I connect with God today, so I'm going to run off and I'm going to have an affair. I'm going to buy some lottery tickets. I'm going I'm to do whatever it takes to make me feel good. It's not quite how it happens. But every single person who wanders away from God's truth, everyone who commits sin, everyone who strays, is looking for satisfaction, is looking for fulfillment that only God can provide. Blaise Pascal, a 17th century uh, philosopher and mathematician, said that people have a trace of happiness. But it's only a trace of the original happiness that the first human beings had in full. We've lost true and full happiness. No person is happy as they were, to, were created to be. Pascal describes this as the infinite abyss. A giant hole that only God can satisfy. My friends, we are all in search for happiness. We are all in search for hope. And because of that, our one of as as a church, one of our goals is this. We our congregation is to have a heart for seeing the gospel spread. And we are actually equipped to give an answer for the hope that we have. Because we know that every man, every woman, every child is searching for hope. They're searching for happiness. They're searching for something that's going to give them peace in this life. Camp Manitoba staff, this summer you are going to encounter thousands of children and their parents. 
who are searching for some kind of hope, some kind of happiness. But there is this infinite abyss. What are you going to offer them? The reality is that Jesus was a magnet for lost people. People were drawn to him because he was drawn to them. The rejected found acceptance. The the, the hurt actually found healing. The judged found the judge who is actually quite non-judgmental. So we are coming to ours as a congregation, our second installment of a, our sermon series called Come to Jesus. And reading my daughter's notes, it was she kind of did a, a play on it. It was not just like, come to Jesus. It was like, congregation, we're having a come to Jesus moment. Come to Jesus. And the aim of this series is to look at the ways that Jesus himself actually engaged with people. And there are a wide variety of people and how he called them to faith and belief. Last week, we looked at the story of Nicodemus. And in that story of Nicodemus, we, we discovered what an effective witness for Christ actually did. Here, here are three things. An effective witness actually talks to the person. I know that sounds like a duh kind of thing, but how many of us actually never really talk about our faith? We actually need to talk to people. An effective witness begins to understand the story of the person that they are, they are engaging. They're listening carefully. So what is going on? What are your greatest pains? And they, lastly, they know what that person is trusting in. Today we are going to be looking and we're going to be watching what Jesus does in this encounter with a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. His name is Zacchaeus. Very good. How many of you know that song? Okay. Can I just get it done with right now? Zacchaeus was a we little man, and a we little man was he, he. This is really sick, though. And? Right? You, you know the signs. And he. This is really a sad moment in, in the church that we're, we're singing this song. But that's all right. So, my friends, would you stand as we read this story of this man named Zacchaeus? Hear this word from the evangelist named Luke, chapter 19. He, being Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus! 
Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your, your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And the Lord said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And he is on his way through this big town called Jericho. And he encounters this man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a funny name. It's not like John. It's not like Cam. It's not like Paul. Zacchaeus. And it means the righteous one. And it's kind of funny how Zacchaeus in the story is not quite the righteous one, but that is the name that he was given at birth. As I picture this story in my mind, I immediately start casting for spots in a big Hollywood movie. Who would I cast for Zacchaeus? Danny DeVito. (laughs) Can you picture it? Wee little man. Wee little man was he. Danny DeVito kind of has this round kind of egg shape, and he is, I'd call him the Z-man. He's got those those shifty eyes. He's got a little bit of a swagger. You know, I could even see him with a cigar in his mouth. He's the perfect little big man, right? And But we are told that Danny DeVito, also known as Zacchaeus, the Z-man, it was a tax collector. To ta- collect taxes, the Romans needed tax collectors. If you wanted, wanted to get in on it, you needed a franchise. You needed to buy the franchise from Rome. They would auction off these positions, and they would require you to pay a certain amount as a tax collector. So whenever, whatever else you wanted, you kept as your own. It was an amazing franchise. It was a deal way that you can create a pyramid scheme. And it was an easy formula for corruption. You had these foundational uh, kind of taxes, you know, your income taxes, your custom taxes. But then they start doing the tollway system. It's also called 294 or 355. Anything that passes through, man, we're going to take a little bit off the top. And, uh, but you could also tax people for a number of different things. The number of wheels on a cart, the animals that you were bringing, the products that were in your bag. So tax collectors became filthy rich and they became hated people. In fact, the rabbis even taught that associating with tax collectors would make you an unclean person. They, tax collectors, Collectors were not allowed to attend synagogue. If you were a good Jew, you did not associate with these robbers. The the Jews viewed them in the exact same light as they viewed a prostitute. 
In fact, the Jewish Mishnah, kind of the, the working out of the law, goes so far to say that it is permissible to lie to tax collectors to protect one's property. So this man is an outcast. But the reality is Luke, the gospel writer, loves to talk about this type of outcast. In fact, he has mentioned, this is the sixth time that he mentions this flavor of outcast. Jesus loves interacting with these kind of peoples. But Zacchaeus is not just a tax collector. He is the chief tax collector which means he supervises all the other tax collectors. And that makes this man not just, did you notice that little section? He was the chief tax collector, and he was what? He was rich. This man had cash. He, He had it flowing. John MacArthur notes that he was at the top of the pyramid, top of the pile. Everybody who collected everything, there were lots of other tax collectors who had to pay him a piece of the action. So everything came up the pyramid and landed eventually in his pocket. Everybody extorted for him. So it's interesting that Luke had previously mentioned the story of the rich young ruler. And how hard it is for the rich to actually get into the kingdom of heaven. It's not not only hard, but the people said, that's impossible. How can they get into heaven? But Jesus said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. So we are going to see here in this selection of scripture an illustration of a miracle but we got to remember that this story occupies a really serious place in luke's whole narrative it's because this is jesus's last personal encounter with a person before his arrival to jerusalem and the events leading to his death All that remains is him telling the parable of the ten minas and then the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And significantly, the the final line in Zacchaeus' story contains the summary line, the the purpose of Jesus' whole ministry. It's found in verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. It's a reminder for us because we quickly forget it. Saving the lost is all that Jesus is about. No one would have ever guessed that on that spring day that Zacchaeus would even want to see Jesus. But Luke says he wanted to see who Jesus was. There's a little bit of holy curiosity. Who is this man? And we've got to ask, why would Zacchaeus wonder Who is this guy? Part of the reason might be because he was the chief tax collector. And there's a good chance that one of his little minions was named Levi or Matthew. Who was saved by grace and became a follower of Jesus. Maybe Zacchaeus was curious about what What happened to one of my guys that he is no longer a tax collector? 
but he's a disciple of this, this rabbi, this teacher named Jesus. Who, who is this? I, I got to see. I got to check it out. Because my guys were loyal. Because their pockets were lined with cash. What does he have to offer that I can't offer? Maybe it was something else. Maybe he had heard about the miracles, the, the healings that had been going on on the hillsides in the other small towns. Who knows? But it was evident that Jesus had a soft spot in his heart for people like Zacchaeus. The f- reality is, friends, if, if Jesus has a soft spot for people like Zacchaeus, so should we. So it's, it's also very likely that Zacchaeus made his all kinds of wealth thinking that, man, this cash that I'm going to make, it is going to build me a great place in Jericho. I'm going to have a house, clawfoot tub. I'm going to have a huge kitchen, lots of open space, palms, servants, people who are going to do all my bidding. Man, I am going to be the happiest person here in town. But maybe there was a sense of unease in his heart that made every pleasure that he had unfulfilling. Maybe he quickly discovered that nothing actually lasts. I'm sure some of you have experienced this as well. Maybe you thought that getting the right job with the right cash flow would make you happy. Maybe you thought if I could just get the right group of friends, that would make me really happy. Maybe you thought if I could get that man or that woman to actually like me and become my spouse, I, I too will be happy. But you quickly realize, whatever it is, you find that the glimmer of this world quickly fades away. So it's probably uh, true that Zacchaeus was weary of being hated by these people. The people harassed him. They gave, they, he gave out bills. They gave him nothing but hatred. It was a rough life. The relentless contempt of his people left him desolate and alone. He had mansions. He had cash. But he was the loneliest man on the planet. Nobody liked him. He was probably very, very tired of his sad life. And this restless little man was determined, determined to see who this Jesus was. But he had a problem, didn't he? On account of the crowd, he could not see Jesus. Remember, he was Danny DeVito. And he could not see over the crowd. The crowd was probably boxing out this little man. They knew who he was. It's like, dude, no way. You're one of us now. You do not get special treatment here. Throwing an elbow here, throwing a hip here, keeping him out out of the way. But short or not, Zacchaeus had legs. He had legs, and what did he do? He used him. He ran on ahead, and he climbed up into a sycamore tree for the Lord. He wanted to see. 
He wanted to see that there was something about this man who was at the top of the pyramid who had all the cash that he wanted, probably a house with balconies, and he could have looked out and watched the crowd pass by. But this man lost all dignity, lifted up his robe, and ran ahead of the crowd and climbed up into a tree. There was something so compelling about this man. He wanted to know. There was so, something so painful about his life that he said, I need to see this Jesus. So he climbed up into this tree. It was a picture, picture this tiny rejected man sitting alone, hidden up in a tree, just to get a glimpse of this Savior. He didn't want the crowd to know he was up there. After all, he did have dignity. If he could just get a private view of Jesus, then the crowd can move along and he can sneak down again and go about his business. But the initiative of Zacchaeus was matched by the matchless initiative of Jesus. When Jesus arrived at that place, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry, come on down, because I'm going to your place today. I must go there. I, 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 I've got to go there. And so what happened? I love how Luke says, so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. So when Jesus stopped at the sycamore tree, hidden Zacchaeus would have naturally tensed. It's like, huh? why did he stop here? He naturally tensed. He maybe even experienced a quick pitting out in that moment. What is going on? And then there was sheer terror that went through his, his heart and his mind as Jesus lifted up his eyes. Could you imagine? I was just trying to get in the tree to just to get a quick look at who this Jesus is. And then I was just going to go on to my work. And, but Jesus stops in front of the tree. He lifts up his eyes and he sees me. He sees me. Zacchaeus at that moment probably braced himself to be a further spectacle of disgrace, of ridicule. And he was afraid because the first words out of Jesus' mouth wasn't, man, you got a great spot. It was his name. Jesus walked through Jericho, and of all the people in the crowd that he knew the name, it was one man, and his name was Zacchaeus. Jesus' use of his personal name was a hint of grace. I love it when my kids call me by my name. Dad, not Paul. Hey, Dad, Dad. When, they, when you hear that, all of a sudden your heart kind of beats and you get excited. Or when a friend kind of calls you out in a crowd, hey, Paul, all of a sudden you go, that's my name. I love it. Hi, how are you? But this moment for Zacchaeus was, he was in this world of how do I respond? He, he knows my name. He knows my name. 
I'm terrified in this moment. It's personal. It's a gift of grace. But it's, it's a moment where I'm absolutely terrified. What is he going to see in me? What does he know about me? Has he passed through Jericho because he knows my story? But this was a, a moment of supernatural knowledge given to Jesus in a moment by his father. And then Jesus said to Zacchaeus, he didn't say this though. He didn't say, man, I, I'd really like to come to your house today. Are you, are you available? No, instead, Jesus said, I must stay at your house I must stay at your house. Jesus regarded his encounter with Zacchaeus as, a, as part of his divine mission. I must stay at your house. He, his seeking of Zacchaeus was a, a sovereign work of God's grace. And what we begin to see at this point in the story is that Zacchaeus is seeking of Jesus and Jesus is seeking of Zacchaeus we're both part of the sovereign work of God, pulling all these things together. The crossing of their lives, meeting at this sycamore tree, was a work of God's divine providence. It was a moment orchestrated by God. The meeting was ordained before the foundation of the earth. The reality is the camel was about to go through the eye of the needle as this rich man was about to come into the kingdom of heaven. Terrifying moment if you think about a camel going through the eye of a needle. How do you even begin? But God was about to do this divine miracle by saying, Zacchaeus, I want to go to your house and I must be there. So what did Zacchaeus do? He hurried down and he received him joyfully it wasn't like okay well we can make that happen could you imagine in that moment when when jesus says i must stay at your house and zacchaeus goes he loves me he cares for me there were branches and there were leaves flying down as zacchaeus was coming down this tree trunk they're flying left and right and, and it probably revealed something about Zacchaeus's own heart he didn't like take his time in a dignified way no he flew down that tree and he came to Jesus and he joyfully received him and did you notice what the crowd's response was at that moment he's going to be a guest of a what a sinner they started muttering but there was only joy that Zacchaeus had the people thought that Zacchaeus was a wealthy man, but the reality is he was only a bankrupt sinner who needed to receive God's gift of eternal life, the most expensive gift in the world. My friends, that is every person that you meet out on the street. You may say, man, they are privileged, they are wealthy, they have all these kind of positions and places of authority and but you know what the reality is every person that you meet out there who has privilege who has finances who has that house who has what you do not have that person is a bankrupt sinner in need of the gift of grace 
So how do you respond? Do you respond like the crowd? That person? Sinner. Why would you even begin there? No. You build the bridge of grace and share the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the only instance in the four gospels where Jesus himself invited himself into their home. It illustrates something beautifully from Revelation chapter 3. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and him with me. Jesus is saying, let the party begin. I'm coming in. So Jesus is standing at the door. And if anyone welcomes Jesus gladly or joyfully, he will come in and he will eat with him. Please notice, my friends, what Jesus did not say in that moment. Jesus did not say, I'd love to come to your house. But you've been a bit of a scoundrel. And if I would show up at your house, it would really be bad for my PR team. It would give a very bad impression. So here's what I need. What I need from you is for you to grow in grace, first of all. Could you just, first, before I come to your house, grow in grace. After that, uh, I, I, after you've changed your life and you've kind of sorted things out, uh, you know, e- including paying off your debt to society, and you've given your goods to the poor, then I'll come to your house. Let me know. That is not how Jesus works. And let's not wait in the hope that we can make our lives fit and worthy to be entered into. Miss you today, church, I know enough about you where I go, I don't know. But Jesus does not do that. Jesus doesn't say that. He, here, here he is seeking a man. And that man is seeking him. And for Jesus Christ, that was enough. It was enough. Because after all, no man naturally seeks after God. Because we are all dead in our sins. There's no way a dead man, a dead woman, a dead child can naturally come alive and seek after the things of God. This was a God kind of movement. The father is drawing Zacchaeus to Jesus. And it was enough for Jesus that this man was up in a tree in order to gaze at him. That was enough. And it is enough for you to be here. And that Jesus, who is more full of grace than you are full of sin, who can read your heart and your mind, it is enough that you are here. And my friends, it may be true of you today. What the gospel writer says, Here's the good news. Salvation has come to your house. Jesus said, I I come to 
I intend to be with you. I, I intend to stay with you. I intend to speak to you. I intend to be your friend, your teacher, your savior, your protector forevermore. Friends, this is amazing grace. It's as Corey Ten Boom said, there is no pit so deep, the love of Christ is not deeper still. I would add that there is no tree so high, the love of Christ and the eye of Christ is not still higher. His mission, Christ's mission from day one was to seek and to save the lost. That, that was even the first question in the Bible. Do you know what the first question in the Bible was? Adam, where are you? God was not coming out as a, uh, a policeman with his baton ready to beat Adam and Eve for their insurrection. No, God was coming out as a father looking for his lost children. God has always, my friend, been the pursuer. So don't miss that. This is, this is all part of the miracle. And another part of the beautiful miracle is what happened once Zacchaeus had this encounter with Jesus. His, his moment with Jesus changed his life forever. In this moment, Zacchaeus repented. He turned his life from one direction and went the other direction. True repentance comes in the form, my friend, of action. Not just words, not just emotions, not just tears. True repentance is always action. We are not sure if Zacchaeus in that moment in verses 8 through 10 responded in his house or where it took place, but I am pretty sure in that moment Zacchaeus had this moment after the crowd grumbled and said, Jesus is really going to, going to this house of a sinner? Ah, I don't know. But did you notice what happened? Zacchaeus stood up. So more likely he was at his house. He stood up and said, Lord, take my life and let it be consecrated to thee. Take my moments and my days, my silver and my gold. Take my life. Not just a small compartment, but my, the whole of my life. And it's an absolutely terrifying uh, kind of thing, what, what he did. He, he could have said, all right, I will meet whatever the law demands. Right? Tell me what does the law demand. Okay. So I, if I've stolen anything according to uh, the Old Testament, I have got to repay what I stole, and I've got to give 20% more. That's kind of a, I'm sorry. But he did not do that. Zacchaeus said, if I defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. How many people is he talking about here? How many, is it, is it a hundred? Is it, is it a thousand? Where did he get this number? 
The reality is, at the end of this day, Zacchaeus repaid 400%. I'm not sure if Zacchaeus had two pennies to rub together after his encounter with Christ. Look carefully what's happening. My friends, this is a miracle. A camel is passing through the eye of a needle right now. Zacchaeus is doing the opposite of what the rich young ruler did. This is a genuine transformation, a genuine form of repentance. This is in contrast with a lot of people who are called to repent and say instead, Oh, is that what I'm supposed to do now? Or do I have to do that? Or how little can I get away with? I've given my life to Christ, but do I really have to give up that? Do I really have to change that? How little can I obey and still be considered a follower of Christ? How close can I walk to the edge? No, instead, Zacchaeus said, let's do the maximum demonstration of obedience because that's what I want to do. Do you know why? Because that is what God did for me. And Jesus said, salvation has come to this house. Salvation came to Zacchaeus' house because Jesus entered into his house. Where Jesus is, salvation is. And there is all about renewal and restructuring a person's entire life. Your whole life is being renovated. There's nothing that is left alone. For Zacchaeus, repentance was not just feeling sorry for something and a short, simple prayer. His repentance constituted a visible act that made amends and transformed evil into good. And my friends... When Jesus enters into our lives, we can never be the same. Never be the same. Salvation cannot be reduced down to a response at an altar call or filling out a a decision card at church. True repentance reaches into our checkbooks. And it reaches deeply and it makes changes. It shuffles our priorities around, our priorities, and realigns them and makes gospel priorities. True repentance pushes us into our neighbor's doorstep to ask for forgiveness for past faults. True repentance cancels debts. True repentance transforms our priorities. True repentance reforms our desires. True repentance modifies our dreams and heals our hurts and the hurts of others. True repentance says, Lord, what do you want to do with my life? Do you want me to work for pittance at Camp Manitoba for a summer? So be it! 
Take my life and let it be. Do you, Lord, are you calling me to be an evangelist in my workplace? In the school that I attend? Lord, okay. Lord, are you calling me to downsize my home so that I can better use my resources for the sake of your kingdom purposes? Praise be to God. Are you calling me to live on less so that I can give more? Are you calling me to give to the poor? Actually, give to the poor. Huh, I don't know. Yes. My friends, this is why Jesus came into the world. Yesterday, this man was damned as damned could be. Yesterday, this man was as lost as lost could be. Today, he's saved. Salvation was outside his house yesterday, but today it arrived and everything in his home where he was the head and the master has changed where he now says, Lord, Lord, Master. It is in his pocket and in his wallet and in his bank account that we see change. This man has salvation written all over everything that he does. And it was all because one day, one day, Jesus determined to go to Jericho to meet him. My friends, as we leave this place, we go with Christ. Where's your Jericho? Who is the man or the woman or child that is perched up in a tree kind of watching? And do you dare say, hey, John, come down. Let's go to your house today. I, I, I want to hang out with you. I want to know your story. I want to know your name. I want to know what makes you tick. And I want to love you like Christ has loved you. Manitoba staff, listen. This summer, you, these Zacchaeuses are going to be dropped off along the road. But you still have got to have eyes to see them. You've got to know their names. Listen to their stories. Know what they're trusting in. Zacchaeus, it was his wealth. It was his resources. It requires you to be intentional as Jesus was intentional. So my friends, the beautiful thing is that this mission of Jesus found in verse 10 is still today his mission for you. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And how does he do it? Through the people of God. Through the preaching and the sharing of his word. The sharing of lives. The investing in one another. And remember, church people, Jesus didn't require Zacchaeus to run home to take down all the Greek murals and move out all the gods and stuff like that. He didn't tell his servants to get dressed a little bit more because Jesus is coming over. No, Jesus just went in. Please don't ask those that you are investing in to say, hey, clean up a little bit, and I'd love to come over. Quit your smoking, quit your drinking, quit your pot smoking. 
smoking. Quit your doing this. Quit your doing that. And then we can have an engagement. No, no, no. Enter into their lives. Call them to faith. Love them. This is the mission of Christ. And this is corporately our mission today. Let's pray.